I'd like to have you, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. If you don't have one, there could be one in the pew ahead of you or look around. But this is an important thing I would like for you to see in Matthew, in John chapter 7. John's book is different than the other three Gospels because it has a specific purpose. And that is it was establishing the deity of Christ in a world that was troubled by that. So it has that background. It has that purpose. So here in John, we find a really interesting little story. And I'm, we're going to go through quite a bit of passage. We're going to skip some of it a little bit that you can read later. But it is really fascinating if we look at this story together. So if you would, we're in the first verse of chapter 7 of John. And after this, Jesus went uh, around in Galilee, up in the north, if you're familiar with the map of Israel. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. This is kind of stressful time for Jesus. But the Jewish leaders, but the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. I'm going to talk to you just a little about that. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Jesus' brothers, these are the children of James, not of Mary. So his half-brothers said to him, leave Galilee." And go to Judea so that your disciples, now watch this, so that your disciples may see the works that you do. And they go on and say, no one uh, who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And John adds this right to the text. He says to it, even his own brothers did not believe in him. So saying, well, that's wonderful what you're doing. That's so exciting. Well, if you're going to really get a crowd, if you really want to impress people, if you're going to make this mission successful, you need to go down to where all the people are. You need to go down to the Jerusalem. You need to go to Judea where you can make this a big deal. Go down there and make that. So that was the encouragement of his brothers who were more than happy to give him their opinion. And Jesus responded to them, and he said to them, Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Because they're not looking to kill you. So you could go at any time. It wouldn't be a big deal for you. The world cannot, uh, the, the world cannot hate you, my brothers, but hates me because I testify of the works that are evil, Jesus said. You go to the festival, he said. And I am not going to go to this festival because my time has not uh, fully come. And as he said this, he had stayed there in Galilee after he had said that for a brief little time. Now, what the festival was, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Jews were required, the men were required to appear before the Lord. Therefore, they were to go to Jerusalem three times a year. One of them was at the festival of tabernacles. It was called the Sukkot or Sukkos, depending on how you pronounce it and how you read it, the Festival of Booths. It lasted for seven days. It was in the latter part of September into October, depending on how the lunar, lunar calendar worked. And so they would go there during the seventh month. And they would go make their jail there on the 15th day of the seventh month. And they would go make their appearance before. And it was quite a festive thing. It was almost like camping out because what you would do is you would go and you would make this little uh, booth where you would stay. And it was to remind people of their journeying in the wilderness and how they had to have their tents and so forth. So it was like camping out. And that can be kind of fun. 
go down with all your family and you each have your little place there and it must have looked like tents all over everywhere, but it was a festival, so it was a happy occasion. People liked to go there. So you were supposed to make your appearance. That was what the, you were supposed to do. It's interesting that they would go and all the men would abandon the rest of Israel and go down to Jerusalem. And yet on those three times, never did their enemies attack them. It's quite interesting that they would, the Lord protected them when they were obedient and went. However, Jesus, the scriptures go on and say, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Because I'm sure his brothers would have made a lot of noise as they were going, oh, look, this is our brother. You, yeah, why don't you do something for the crowd here, Jesus? Why don't you do something creative? And, and uh, we'll all be amazed at that. Verse 11, and now at the festival of the Jews, the leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Where is he? Well, in the book of the Desire of Ages, it says, and it gives us this little piece of looking at it. All of the while, Jesus was at Jerusalem during the feast. Uh, he was shadowed by spies. Day after day, new schemes to silence him were tried. The priests and rulers were watching to entrap him. They were planning to stop him by violence. See, they wanted to kill him. But this was not all that they were planning to do. They wanted to humble this Galilean rabbi before the people. They wanted to show him to be a fraud. Therefore, keeping their rulership, their authority, they did not like what he was teaching. Okay, back to chapter 7, if you would. Back to chapter 7, verse 12. And so among the crowds, there was widespread whispering. There's the title of the sermon. They were whispering. And you've been in groups where you've had that, haven't you? Where you get together and you're chatting and I'm talking out in the hallways, a little whispering and so forth. Sometimes people after... Uh, contentious board meeting or something meeting out there they're out in the parking lot i know what that's like and so the crowds were were, uh, widespread whispering about him and some said this he's a good man he's a good man others replied no he deceives the people but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. They didn't want to be accused of being a Galilean, following him, being, being sucked into Jesus' ministry. So they were very, very hush-hush. You were careful who you talked to about it. So halfway, the Bible says, verse 14, now, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Where have you heard that before? If you're, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that when Jesus was 12, he was in the temple. Remember that? His parents had already headed for home. They forgot their kid. And they went on their way home and they got halfway home or wherever. I don't know. I realized, hey, where's, where's Jesus? And they go rushing back to the temple. And here he is in the temple talking to them as a 12-year-old. And these teachers of the law, these scribes, are sitting around listening to him. And he is teaching them because for the things they did not know. And where did Jesus get that education from? He got it taught to him by his mother as she read to him and told him the Bible stories. Mothers, 
Be sure you're sharing the Bible stories with your children. It's incredibly important. Incredibly important. Jesus responded and said, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Has not, and go drop down to verse 19. I'm going to try to speed this up so we won't be here all afternoon. Has not Moses given you the law, he asked the people standing there and the rulers and the spies. And they said, yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. And here they are trying. And he says, not one of you. Because back inside there, they are planning something to get rid of him already. Planning to plot him out. All right, drop down to verse uh, 25. You'll have to read all the inside later. Verse 25. And at this point. Some of the people in Jerusalem began asking, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? See the crowd whispering. They know this. They know this plan, this plot. So Jesus wasn't just making up something. He wasn't just afraid and so forth. Everybody knew that the rulish leaders of the day were trying to get rid of him. And so that expression, that thing about him, wasn't his own fear, his own paranoia. Everybody knew it. And these were the people that had come from all over. They were in Jerusalem, and they're seeing Jesus. And isn't that the guy they're trying to kill? And they said, here he is, speaking publicly. And they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? <laughs> No. Um, just to catch you up a little bit, Messiah, the word Messiah that we see means the anointed one. That's what the meaning of the word is. We also have it the same sort of word in Greek, which is Christos, or we call Christ. Christ means the anointed one. It's the same word. It's a Hebrew word. It's Messiah. In Greek, it's called Christos. Christ. So it's the same word, meaning the same thing that God has anointed. And if you recall, at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and anointed him. That was the anointing of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry there. So he was the anointed one. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And they were looking for this, to come and rescue them from the Romans. And so they were looking, is he the Messiah? Have they gone over to he being the Messiah? But they said, verse 27... But we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Did they know where this man was from? They said he was from Nazareth. You remember the story? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is that was what Nathaniel asked? He said, come on, we found the Messiah. They said, oh, we got to go find him. If you read the Bible, we got to go find the Bible, uh, find the Messiah. They said, oh, we found him. He says, where is he from? He's from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Of course not. And we know where he's from. And you think about the work that Jesus did in the carpenter shop where he's standing ankle deep in shavings and sawdust and stuff around as he's working and building things for people and just to labor there. We know where he's from. Do you know where Jesus is from? Well, of course, we say, well, yeah, we know he's from Bethlehem, right? We know he was from Bethlehem. And we know that he was the root of Jesse. Came out of that. 
Jesus came. But Jesus claimed something more than just coming from Bethlehem, didn't he? He claimed something greater than that. He claimed that he'd come from God. God had sent him. In fact, next week we'll look at something else that Jesus claimed. And then Jesus, going on in verse 28, and then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. Now watch this. Cried out. And he said, yes, you know me. You know where I am from. You think Nazareth. I am not here on my own authority, but he has sent me is true. Do you, you do not know him, he said, but I know him because I am from him and he has sent me. I am from the father. I am from the Father. And they were so excited about hearing that message from him that they tried to seize him because they wanted to get rid of him. But no one laid their hand on him, the Bible says, because his hour had not yet come. So still many, verse 31, still many in the crowd believed in him. And they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Now, in the book of John, we have a lot of this discussion going on, but we've already had in the book of John where he, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with the, the little boy's lunch. If you're familiar, you can just page back just a little bit in the book of John, and you can find that story. And how he didn't, there were other things that Jesus had done, other miracles are happening. That's why his brother said, you ought to go down there and put on a, quite a display. Show them all your stuff. Let them see what you can do. And then they'll be all impressed by that. And that'll be, you'll get quite a following by that. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. So all this had already been taking place. And already the people responded is, will the Messiah come? Will he do more than what we were already seeing? A good question, isn't it? A good question. Verse 32. And the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering. There they are again, whispering. Such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Go over there. So evidently, we're gathering from this now, that the Sanhedrin had met, the ruling council had met, and they said, go get him, bring him in, we want to talk to him. Go get him. So they sent the temple guards out to arrest him. Now drop down to verse 37, if you would. And on the last day, On the last and greatest day of the festival. Okay, this is the very end. All right, you need to know something about the last day. Well, every day they did this, but the last day was very special. So they had this golden pitcher that the priests would go down, and he would go down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, if you're familiar with in Jerusalem, this is actually a waterway that comes in here. And it fills the Pool of Siloam. It's the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, which is 1,700 feet long, cut through the rock. Having walked through that, it's very narrow. You humble through. You walk in the water as you walk down the temple. And it ends up at Siloam's Pool. This is Siloam's Pool. is the very spot that Jesus picked up. And he put mud on the guy's eyes. Remember that? And he could see. He had to go wash his eyes in the Pool of Siloam. 
This was a special place. So this water came down. They would go get a pitcher of water. They would ceremoniously, with lots of music and celebration, and they would take it up to the temple, make a long journey up the steps to the temple. They'd go up the ramp to the temple. They'd go to the altar, and there would be a special spot on the main altar where they had the sacrifice, where you would pour water into this tube, into this little thing, and it would bring water down. Bringing of the water, the fresh. It was called the water of salvation. It was also the water that they would take from Salome's pool, and they would take and anoint and the uh, new king. So it had great significance. And on the last day, it was incredible celebration. It was a time of great joy. So on the last day of the celebration, greatest day of it, Jesus stood and said with a loud voice, now watch, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, if you're familiar with John 4, just Jesus was at the uh, at this well, at Jacob's well in Samaria, and he met a Samaritan woman. Are you familiar with this? And he said, uh, she uh, said, give me some water. And, and she said, well, you have nothing for me to draw with. And he said, well, the water that I will give you is living water. Remember the story? Maybe you need to read that. Living water. Again, that expression of the usage of living water. Jesus said, I am the living water. Living water, Salome's pool, all that festival and so forth. He has the gift of salvation, of God saving them. See? All there. The living water, then, is more than symbolism. It was a satisfying of our spiritual thirst. Jesus is saying that he is able to satisfy our spiritual thirst. Now that is significant in that many people don't know they're thirsty. They just don't know what's wrong. They're so focused on here and now that they haven't caught on that there's a problem. There's some deep need that they have. It's there. But they've lived with it so long they don't sense it. Maybe you are there as well. Not sure. Maybe in that spot. Well, John goes on to clarify. says, what he was talking about was the spirit of God coming into you. And he's talking about when the Pentecost comes, that living water, that spirit of God will be able to be in you. And you will be led by the spirit of God. And you will have that deep satisfaction. So on hearing this words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet, the prophet. Others said, ah, he is the Messiah. Still others said, how can a Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scriptures say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from, did you get that? Bethlehem. The town where David lived. Thus the people were divided about that because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but none would lay their hands on him. 
Why didn't they ask him, where were you born? Was this a great mystery? You see, they had knew the scriptures that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. But it was the wise men who showed up at Bethlehem because they read the scriptures. You see? It was the scriptures that they read. They knew the time of the Messiah had come, and they knew that the star had come, and that his new coming, this new king, would be highlighted by the appearance of a new star. So when the star started moving, they started following, it all fit because they were students of the scripture, even though that wasn't their religion. They were thirsty. And they got the living water. You see? Fit together. Well, meanwhile, meanwhile, it's always a meanwhile after this is going on, verse 45, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? You came back empty-handed. And he said to them, no one has ever spoke this way, the way this man does. No one, and they go, well, you've just been deceived. You've been, so you must be after them. You've been tricked, and so forth. Why, we know that no Messiah is going to come out of Galilee because they didn't ask the question. They didn't want the question. They accused him and attacked them and went after them. And the people, the Bible says, were confused, were confused. Are people today confused? Yes, they are. And it's like the blind leading the blind. And it just goes on and on and on. So our just goes on. Man's advantages for obtaining a knowledge of the truth, however great those may be, will prove of no benefit to him unless the heart is open to receive the truth. Paul Simon, of Simon and Garfunkel, has a song. He says, a man hears what he wants to hear but disregards the rest. You know? You choose what you are. There's no one as blind as a person who refused to see the truth. Be open to the truth. I have learned over the years that it's important to be open to truth. When I graduated from college with my degree in theology, I found out I didn't know everything. Even though some people in my church thought I did, I guess you can fool some of the people all the time. But I always want to be a student, learning, still today. I want to be a student, learning what I said. So we have a mission that we need to be on. As a church family, we need to help people find their way to understanding who Jesus is. Because there's much confusion in the world. And particularly in today's world, there are more and more young people who have no religious background whatsoever. 
You talk to them about Jesus and they just know it is a swear word. They have no idea who Moses is, who Daniel is, who Peter is, Paul. Disciples, you say disciple, they have no idea. They have no idea about the Bible. Never looked at it, never opened it up. So the most basic things that some of us grew up as children that we were learned, many have not had that opportunity. So we must adapt to be able to meet the needs around us for those who need to find their way. It must be very basic. I'm looking for material to do that. If you have help with that, that would be great. But we need to be able to share people so they can make a decision on their own and not live in confusion about what is going on. That is our duty. That is what faces us. I'm asking you to help make that journey with me. That wherever you go to be gentle and kind, reminding people there is a reason why you are thirsty. And there is a way to get your spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied. Truth can come to you if you're open. I've met people who have been open, who have known nothing. And they've come to come a great distance to know Christ as their Savior. And to find truth that satisfies the heart, that rings true, that follows the course of history that builds up. And their hearts were open. Sometimes people aren't quite ready. And you have to wait. And pray about it. Years ago, when I was just starting out in the ministry, we had a Bible worker. A lady was a Bible worker. She gave Bible studies to people. And her name was Miss Brooks. Now, if you are an old guy like me, you remember there was a television program called Our Miss Brooks. Oh, some of you, nobody responded to that one, so you must be way too young for this. But Our Miss Brooks, it was quite a thing about this single lady. Well, we had our own our Miss Brooks. And she was terrific at knowing how and when to share Christ with others. She would say, well, they're on the front burner or they're on the back burner. She'd say to me, is the person you're working with on the front burner or the back burner? Now, those of you who cook would know and don't just use the microwave that if they're on the front burner, they get more attention. Is that not right? If they're on the back burner, they're just simmering. Is that is that how it works? I don't know. I use a microwave. So there's, there's those delicate things of handling and sharing with people that are open. And just as Sire Vedras said, those people, if they're, you can have all the ability, all the things available, but they're, they're not tuned in because they're not open. Dear friends, we have to look for those that are ready to receive, ready to be open. I ask you to help me with that. Being aware, being gentle, being kind. Dear Lord, I thank you for this test these folks went through.
They're looking at Jesus. Some are saying he's the Messiah. Some are saying, no, he's, he, he needs to be uh, killed. Others are wondering, well, he may be a good prophet. Or, well, he couldn't be the Messiah because he's from Nazareth. And they never look any farther. Never ask him. And when he says, well, I've come from someplace that you do not know. I've come from someone. They knew he was talking about God. They knew his credentials that he was laying out to them, but they were not open to hearing many. Somewhere, somewhere. And that's the world we always live in. Some open, some not. There may be some, Lord, that are sitting in this room that are struggling with this right now. It is a life struggle. May they patiently wait upon you. Lord, may we be patient as folks come, as they learn, as they share. Bless our household of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.